Happy Tuesday morning, everybody. I'm Matt Scalisi, and we are back once again to talk about the big news going on around the SEC. We're we're in particular focused on Alabama today, but we might get into some of the other schools around the league as well. And we're actually joined uh, by a guest today, which I'm really excited about. Before we get to our guest, I'm going to go ahead and bring in uh, my two regular co-hosts here, Mr. John Talty over on my right and Matt Zenitz at the bottom of your screen. As a, 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 an eventful national championship game in, in basketball, though not pertinent to our, our, our friends in SEC country this time, uh, but going on around the league. And, and uh, this is the time of year that we're getting to see some recruits coming up um, from the high school ranks, finally making their way and getting their first taste of college. Pat knows a lot about that. Side. Why don't you go ahead and, and introduce our guest today? Yeah, so uh, we're, we're going to be bringing on somebody who I think is well-known in the football world, was a very good player back in the day, and now is involved in the coaching world. So fortunate to have Chris Dishman coming on uh, with us the, this morning. Chris played in the NFL for more than a decade as a defensive back, made multiple Pro Bowls, and has been involved in, in coaching for the, the last decade or so at this point and has some diversity there in terms of the coaching part of it. So it's worked in the NFL, worked for the Chargers, working for working with their defensive back group, uh, worked at Baylor at the college level, uh, working with their defensive back group, and actually now is at IMG Academy down in Florida, one of the premier high school football programs in the, the country uh, down there, obviously producing high-level talent on a yearly basis. And Chris is entering year two at IMG. So first of all, Chris, we appreciate you coming on with us today. Hey, how did that all come about with, with IMG last year? What was kind of the, the process for you leading up to ultimately taking that job? Well, my daughter went to four years here at IMG. Uh, first learned of IMG because I used to recruit here uh, when I coached at Baylor. And my daughter went to uh, four years here at her IMG. And um, when the XFL folded, um, I was fortunate enough to come back here to Brayton, Florida. And the position was open. And I hopped over here since I'm only five minutes away from the school. Good stuff. So, yeah, I obviously, like I said, year in and year out, IMG producing high-level talent as far as recruits. And I, us being based here in Alabama, there are a couple of people uh, that I know people in the, the Alabama world are very much familiar with as far as incoming freshmen who have come out of there uh, at IMG that, that are part of this year's recruiting class who you were around during the course of last season. So uh, Ja'Cory Brooks, a five-star wide receiver, J.C. Latham, a, a, a five-star offensive lineman, Start, starting with Ja'Cory, what, what do you feel like people should know uh, about Ja'Cory? Obviously, a guy that just from a, a practice standpoint, your DBs had to go against every, every day and, and match up uh, against. He's a never-say-never guy. He's a very hard worker. He got very good hands, good route running ability. You know, uh, he got uh, – everyone keeps saying he's not as fast. as, as But he, he got – once he get going, he got good top-end speed. Uh, but he – He's a very good route runner. Uh, Hand-eye coordination is very good. You know, um, like I say, the guys I can compare him to is someone like 
his work ethics is like a Jerry Rice. Uh, he's going to work extremely hard. Um, he's going to be on time. He's going to be very, uh, he's going to be yes, sir, no, sir type of person. You tell him to do something, he's going to do it. He's a pleaser to no end. Oh. And I, obviously just going back to when you played, you, know, you match up against guys like Gary Rice, some of the the, the great receivers of the, the last 20 years. Just in terms of the, the overall skill set to go along with the work, work ethic part of it, who else does he remind you of from just a, a skill set standpoint that maybe you matched up against uh, during the course of late 80s, 90s and, and all? Well, he, he's a he's a tweener, you know. I call him. He got a mixture of a lot of guys that I've covered in the past. You know, he got the speed of Andre Risen, the hand-eye coordination of a Jerry Rice, the toughness of a Michael Irvin. So he's a he's a all-in-one type of guy that he got all these different stuff that he can do. You know, he's not afraid to block, not afraid to go across the middle. You know, so he's a he's a guy that's, that's very is gonna hopefully have a long career. There at Alabama. That's some pretty high praise, though, comparing him to, to some of those guys. JC, <laughs> <laughs> JC, obviously one of the, the top ranked overall recruits in, in this year's recruiting class. I think the 24 7 composite had him as not only the number one ranked offensive tackle, but I think they ultimately had him as the, the number two overall player. What, what should people know about JC, though? Uh, don't take his his soft smile, his soft speaking, as meaning that he's soft. He's very, very mean inside the lines. You know, he got a mean streak with him. He's gonna, like I said, he also is is a leader on and off the field. He's gonna be exactly where you want him to be. Uh, he's not gonna take a back. Uh, he's not gonna take. He's gonna. He's not gonna back down from anyone. He's going to accept all challenges and he's going to try to excel in all challenges. Chris, I, I, I want to ask you kind of on a more general basis because obviously you're, you, you've been around the game at, at every level at this point. You've seen it evolve over decades. And now you're, you're at a part of really a, a place that is developing talent at a very, very high level. And it's, it's what's going on at IMG is not really something that was happening at all a couple of decades ago when, when you were coming up. I, I would like to know kind of your perspective on how much it's changed, that the process that an elite, a young elite prospect goes through on his path to, you know, let's say, let's say eighth, eighth grade freshman year when you're just sort of realizing that you've got uh, a lot of physical potential. How much has the process changed for kids like that going through high school and into college uh, from, from maybe just over the past couple of decades, certainly from when you were coming up? Well, these, get, these kids now have so much pressure on them. They have to win now. Back then, we had a chance to develop players, you know, like me. I was, I was a slow, slow, boomer, slow boomer, so I was developed into the way I was. Now, today's kid, they have to be ready right now. Coaches need them ready right now because their jobs depend on them winning. So these kids now have so much pressure on them. You know, just going to one of my my son's eighth grade game, he already have high schools out there wanting them, everybody wanting to go to his high school, come to my high school, come to high school. Now you get kids are getting recruited in eighth grade, which is crazy, going to different to go to different high schools. Whereas when I grew up, I already knew which high school I was going to. 
either the high school that's in my district or another high school that my mom and dad could afford to pay to get me to. So it's the pressure of the win now mentality and you have to be developed right right now. So it's the pressure of these guys having to win now is making them think you have all the AA, uh, not the AAU, but you have all the seven on seven tournaments and the big man challenges and and everyone the seven and everyone want to be a five star and everyone want to be ranked the number one player instead of just being a good player. You know, everyone want to be the top player. So the kids got so much pressure on on them now to to win now and want to be the top player. Sure. <laughs> Well, for, for those who aren't aware, Chris, you got a young coach Saban with the Lakers of Houston before he even became a head coach. Um, so I'm curious, you, know, you got two guys going to Alabama. I don't know if you had this conversation with them, but if you did or didn't, you know, what kind of advice would you have given to them given your experience playing for, you know, young coach Saban before he became, you know, what we know as today? Coach, coach Saban, I mean, coach Saban is a very organized, very, uh, thorough person, you know, um, he's going to expect more than, than a normal coach will, you know, but coach Saban used to always tell me that his expectations of me should never be any higher than what your expectations of yourself should be. So I, that's what I loved about coach Saban. He always saw more in you than what you actually saw in yourself. You know, and my, my advice to those guys was go there, keep your nose clean, Yes, sir. No, sir. And be where you're supposed to be. It's one thing about Coach Saban. If you do what you're supposed to do and be where you're supposed to be, then that's how you get on his good side. But if you try to cut corners and everything, then you, you can fear the wrath of Coach Saban. Do you do you think he's loosened up at all? Do you sense that he's that he's lightened up in that aspect much? By by far, and winning helps you lighten up. You know, he's a very good coach. He's a very thorough coach. Sure. Um, so like I said, some of the DB drills that I do right now, I got from coach Saban when coach Saban coached me in 1988, <laughs> I'm still doing those drills wow. because those drills actually work. You know, they're not the flashy of drills and they're not all the footwork keys and all the footwork drills you see today. They don't even really, um, help you in football, but all the kids like to do them because they flashy. The drills I have and coach Saban gave me is the drills that actually work on a football field. It's a very technique-driven coach, and that's why he gave me such a solid foundation when I was young that as I went on to my 12 years after uh, Coach Saban was gone from me, I was able to still keep a solid foundation because of what he instilled in me uh, at a young age. Yeah. So wait, when you played under Coach Saban, at that point you were a rookie. I mean, that was your, your first NFL defensive back coach. And I, I think people very much remember those old Oiler teams. Did you have any favorite stories from uh the those late 80 Oiler teams or working with Coach Saban specifically? Well, it's just the the drills he used to have us do every every day. And he every day we did the same drills. And I always wanted to do more. And he's like, why do more? Why, why do something else if these drills work? It was always the same drills, same drills. And now, looking back as a coach, I know what he was doing now. He was getting that muscle memory. Defensive backs are all about muscle memory. What do you do in practice and what you're going to do in the game? If you don't practice the stuff in practice, then you're not going to do it in the game. And that's what he's always tried to get is 
a muscle memory of every day doing the same thing every day, having the same footwork, had the same step, had the same hand placement, you know, and and those drills instilled in me. Like I said, I do it for my guys today, and they and I tell them the same thing that Coach Saban tell me. Why why fix it if it's not broke? You know, you can improve it, but don't try to do anything different. So of him just doing drills with me, um, have, having the belief in me, and just, you know, he's very demanding. Everyone say he's a screamer, he's a yeller, he's a fusser. I don't, I, I never looked at Coach Saban that way. I always looked at him as very demanding. And who don't want to be coached? Any great player, any good player want to be coached. Any good player know that you have to be demanding, and especially in the back end where you can lose and win games in a matter of seconds. See, in today's football, where it's a passing league, you have to be so solid in your technique back there that if a coach is too demanding on you, then that's not the position you need to be playing. Chris, it's, it's, been, an, a, 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 it's been a big issue for Coach Saban in particular, uh, really for the past several years, but he's, he's brought it up a good bit in the last year. Uh, the, this aspect of how much the game has changed and how big a focus there is on on offenses and, and how much of a disadvantage it puts defenses at these days, uh, particularly it seems like defensive backs. Uh, so what are what are your feelings about this? Is, is it going to take a, a big change for guys like you and the way that you coach defensive backs? Is there anything you guys can do to sort of adjust to to the way that the game is shifting? Well, you realize the quarterback is going to have three seconds. So as I tell my guys now to put your work in early, put your work in within the next five yards. you got five yards to hit this receiver, rough him up as much as you can. So therefore, your discipline in the first five yards can carry you on into the 10, the 12, and the 15-yard mark because that quarterback is not going to have time to keep looking at that player. But if you don't put your work in within the first five yards, then you may have, have an opportunity of getting the football thrown your way. So and that's why I just tell them, just, as defensive backs, we can't change, no matter how the offense changes. The quarterback still got to throw the ball to that receiver. And if we roughing that receiver up enough and that pass rush is getting to that quarterback, then we, have, we, we stand a chance. But if they start making a game where you can, we have to push the quarterback down, you can't hit the quarterback, if they take away the five-yard mark of not hitting the receivers, then the game will change a lot. So, Chris, one more. So, I, obviously, you guys are going through the, the process of spring stuff right now. In, in terms of players that, that are still at IMG, who, who are some of the ones that maybe you guys as a staff uh, are particularly excited about going into the year that, that maybe people in the – the college world or recruiting world should, should start to, to take a look at and just be aware of going into the season that you feel like have big potential when it comes to projecting to the college level? Oh, well, I don't think we have enough time for that. <laughs> we have, and I don't want to sound like I'm bragging, so I hope people don't take it that way, but we have a slew of guys defensively and offensively that can uh, play in the SEC, Big Ten, Big 12, ACC, they have they can have their um, pick of the litter where they want to go. Um, I only can speak on the position I coach, my back end guys. I have one, two, three, four, five guys in the back end possibly can play in the SEC or anywhere and be great players. And 
you know, it's 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 crazy the talent that we have here. And and I was just I'm just so fortunate enough to coach these guys and they're actually listening and hope that I can springboard them on to college. So therefore when they get to a coach like a coach Saban or like a Kirby Smart or or, or like a uh, Devo, once they get to their college's campus, they be ready to play uh, physically and mentally because you also got to realize the mental part of the football also. You know, everybody always will look at the physical, but you got the mental part of football that you have to be ready to play. Are they good in the classroom? Are they good note takers? Can they be a one-time guy? As coaches, we want guys to be one-timers. You know, we don't want it. To, we want to tell you two or three times about something. If I tell you one thing, you can cipher it and go through and do it. You're going to make my job a lot easier, which makes you a better player. So that's what we're looking for. One time. Oh, good stuff. Maybe we definitely appreciate you taking a few minutes to come on today. If people want to follow Chris and, and just keep up with what's going on down there at, at IMG, you can follow Chris on Twitter at Dishman underscore Chris. Some great insights today. And like I said, Chris, we we really appreciate you taking a few minutes to to come on and share some of that insight. Well, good. Thank you, guys. You guys have a great day. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much. Hey, that was great. Before I leave, ask, ask you Corey about his defensive back experience. Gotcha. Okay. Big <laughs> expectations for some of those guys. It's raised my expectations even more for 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 Jacory now. Yeah, ask him about his his one snap of defensive back, I guess. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thank you Thank so you much, guys. Chris. Thank you, Chris. Right, have a great um, Bye. Awesome. Well, thanks again to uh, to Christian for joining us as our guest here, our, for our first guest that we've had on First Down South on the show. We hope to have more of that coming up in the rest of the offseason. But let's um, let's turn quickly here, guys, to – spring football again. It was a pretty important weekend in Tuscaloosa as Alabama had their first spring scrimmage. Uh, we know that there's an ongoing quarterback battle happening right now. Now, obviously, it's been stated pretty explicitly at this point that there does seem to be a front runner. But uh, Matt, I, you've, you've had a report out there of, of intel that you got from this spring scrimmage. What can you tell us about how this thing went down and, and maybe what were some of the highlights from it? Yeah. So I, I'll break this up into a couple of parts. So just overall with the scrimmage, I, I think combination of the scrimmage and through this point of spring ball, that the, the defense is ahead of the offense. Uh, the, the first and, and second groups defensively uh, both did well overall based on the, the feedback that I've gotten in that scrimmage. The, the, the front seven seems to be in very good shape going into the, this year. And, and I would say that overall defensively, that uh, they, they seem to be in position where they should be in good shape from a, a defensive standpoint going into this year. Uh, but the, the first and second groups, as far as the, the defense, made it difficult on the offense during the course of the scrimmage. And even that, that second front seven, that second team front seven, made, made it difficult for the, the first team offense to, to run the ball consistently. And that obviously bodes well for some of the, the young players uh, that they're going to be relying on to help them from a depth standpoint going into this year. So definitely reason for the, the staff to, to be encouraged, 
about the defense at this point. To, to go over to the offense, while uh, there, there were so some issues moving the ball against the, the defense, especially in the running game, I, I think that it, it was a, a solid performance, just looking at Bryce Young specifically, the, the quarterback who's obviously the favorite at this point to, to take over from Matt Jones at the starter. It, it was a solid first showing for him in terms of spring scrimmage this year. So the, the format of the, the scrimmage was to start out ones against twos uh, before eventually shifting to some situational work where uh, during red zone portion of practice, you saw ones against ones, twos against twos, so on. But during during the course of the beginning part of the scrimmage, where it was ones against twos, Rice had two touchdown passes at that point, one to Javon Baker that, that was a little bit longer of a, a, a touchdown, and, and then had another one to tight end who seems to be off to good start to the spring in Kamla too. Then eventually when they shifted to – the, the situational stuff when it was ones against ones during red zone stuff, Bryce had two additional touchdown passes, one to Xavier Williams and then the second one to, to Kamla too. So um, it was a good start for him in, in terms of getting out there in a scrimmage setting and uh, showing some of what he could be able to, to do. The, the front seven, especially when you got into the, the ones against ones portion of it, seems like uh, continued to, to generate pressure there with, with guys like Will Anderson and, and Chris Allen. But uh, for, for Bryce, off to a, a good start and obviously coming out of the scrimmage, the, the feedback was good from Nick Saban to, to go along with that. John, I, you know, we, we didn't see a ton of Bryce Young last year. We, we was basically entirely mop-up duty. But, you know, little flashes here and there. What, what are, you know, I, I guess what's kind of the thing – that you need to see out of Bryce Young for you to be really sold on him? I mean, obviously, we know that he was a big-time recruit coming in. We know that nice things have been said about him. Is there sort of a moment that you're looking for? Is there something that you that would sort of suddenly give you the confidence to say, this Alabama team is, is serious business with Bryce Young under center? Now, I think I'm going to give, you know, a very unsexy answer here, but I think the answer is consistency. You know, I think we've talked about the flashes. We know the talent there. I think you want to see him be able to consistently, you know, do what he needs to do. And I think we've, you know, seen that um, from past uh, saving quarterbacks, you know, it's certainly something that he values. And I think, you know, the reason why you didn't see a ton of him last year, you know, Mac Jones was, was incredible. And I think Bryce just wasn't there um, at that point yet. So I think you just want to see him consistently put forth good performance. Um, you know, I know it's still an open competition. At this point, I would be shocked if it's not Bryce, um, just given his talent level and, and what we've heard about him to this point. So I think you just want to see him, you know, continue to develop his relationships, uh, you know, with his receivers and, and tight ends and all that. And, and just, you know, not force mistakes. And it seems like, you know, during the first spring scrimmage, he did a good job of not doing that. I do, I, you know, I, I'm racking my brain a little bit, but I'm trying to think of a quarterback that had less meaningful playing time going into his first start uh, than, than Bryce Young. I mean, I, I guess it's probably Jalen Hurts is the answer because he, he essentially ended up taking over the starting job 
in his very first game as a true freshman on campus. But it's a it's not something that many Alabama quarterbacks have have been put in a position to do. You know, even Mac Jones, you know, he played pretty substantial amounts of of you know in in relief for Tua after Tua went out in fifteen. Uh, Tua obviously was getting a good amount of playing time, sort of behind for that job as well. So it's a little bit new territory, at least new for, for the last several years to see we're, we're basically going in blind on Bryce Young in terms of meaningful game experience coming into this season. The thing I'll say, the, the, the challenge there has done some good things through through the early part of the spring. Nick Saban, whenever Bryce has come up, has been complimentary of the, the progress that he's made. We, one of the interesting components of this will be the, the development as far as guys that he's going to be throwing the football to. So John Mechie, who's in position to be the, the lead receiver this year, is out for the spring while working back from an injury, which ha- has opened the door for some other guys – specifically some of these younger guys, to be able to get experience, get get reps. There are going to be some some growing pains there that maybe wouldn't be the case if somebody as experienced as John Mechie is in there. But it, it will be very interesting to continue to track just the, the development, specifically of some of these young receivers that they're going to depend on to catch passes and contribute this year to go along with guys like John Mechie and Slade Bolden. So like with the scrimmage the other day, it sounds like Slade, which is to be expected, worked with the first team offense, but then you have Javon Baker who for good things about just the, the work that he's done behind the scenes during the course of the last year, but he, he's going to be dependent on now to play a much bigger role than, than what he played last year. So sounds like he's one of the, the lead guys in the competition there, but hey, as some other talented young receivers to go along with that, who at the very least have flashed through the early part of the spring, whether it's been Treshawn Holden, who I, who I know got some first-team work the other day, or, or even some of the the newcomers as far as true freshmen coming in, like Ja'Cory Brooks, who, who Chris obviously talked about earlier in the show, or other true freshmen like Christian Leary, a, a speed guy who, who brings that explosive dynamic to the receiver group, or another one, and Ajayi Hall, another true freshman who it sounds like is flashed early on and maybe could be a factor there in the, the competition to, to go along with some of those guys or even an Xavier Williams who's been around for a little while and had that touchdown catch in the scrimmage the other day. Definitely worth keeping an eye on. We'll have more developments as we go through this week from Alabama spring practice. Obviously, we're also covering the Auburn Tigers uh, and their ongoing spring practice as well. Um, guys, any, anything, uh, anything else catching your attention this week that, uh, that, you know, doesn't, doesn't necessarily have to be SEC football. What are, what are we watching right now? Well, I'm assuming you're, uh, one, one repeat, the, the new trailer for Loki. You know it. You know it. John, you had something. No, I'll just say, I mean, you kind of hit on the beginning of the, um, our talk here, but it was, I mean, I found it interesting, you know, watching the championship game last night, you know, I would say Baylor's two best players. One of them was at Auburn. The other one was at Alabama. Yes. Before Baylor. So, you know, a little bit of uh, what could have been for both Auburn and Alabama there that, you know, Mitch, Mitchell and Butler were both, you know, fantastic uh, Monday night and, you know, would have been, I'm sure both Bruce Pearl and Nate Oates would have enjoyed having those guys this year. 
You know, I, I think you can look at it both ways. I think you can you can certainly be disappointed about it if you're an Alabama or an Auburn fan. You can also look at it and say, you know, like we've been hovering around basketball relevancy for for a number of years now, and we're becoming more and more folded into the fabric of championship college basketball. And uh, and that's just maybe another sign of it that that you had two guys who've whose paths led them through Alabama and Auburn that were playing in the national title game. So well, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how long it will be before one of these two teams is, is back in the discussion again, the way they've been in the last two tournaments. Um, you know, will that be a regular part of the NCAA tournament talking about Alabama or Auburn or both of them, or, or were these two seasons, you know, flashes in the pan? I mean, because of 2020 getting canceled, Alabama can now claim a piece of the last two national championships because you had Braxton <laughs> Key with UVA uh, as well. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, uh, guys, thanks. Thanks as always for joining me on First Downs Out. Thanks to Chris Dishman for joining us as our guest. And uh, we will see you guys next week here.